0: the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show brought to you by the Athletic UK. And today we're going to be reviewing Fulham's 1-0 win over the posh as Marco Silva's cheeseboard army marched north to Peterborough and witnessed a 20th goal of the season for Alexander Mitrovic, who poetically on bonfire weekend continues to burn hotter than ever. We'll look back at the game, a gritty determined win which saw some classic parkable tactics toward the end we've got a stack full of your questions to get through as well and I am joined today by Ben Jarman. Hello Ben. Hello Sammy, hello Dan, hello Tom. How are you feeling today Ben? Uh, We were having some uh, cocktails uh, late last night. Um, I imagine you were feeling a little bit ropey this morning.
2: Well put it this way I didn't get out of bed until half one this afternoon and uh, when I did I didn't eventually eat until about five o'clock so uh, it's gone well today, really well.
0: Uh, we went to Simmons Bar in uh, King's Cross, which is a little cocktail place, and uh, they have this drink called Sex with a Lad, um, which is like sex on the beach, and I had four of those, and I woke up just like, my mouth was just like, all like could taste was like cranberry juice, it was grim. Uh, Dan Cook, hello, how you doing?
3: Hi, Sammy, good, thanks, how are you?
0: Yeah, not too bad, thank you. And we're joined by uh, Chair of the FST, Tom Greatrix. Hello, Tom. Hi, Sammy. Tom, you've had quite the gallivanting week. You went to Blackburn, then you've been in Glasgow, then you're staying in Edinburgh, you came down to Peterborough, then you went to Hibs Celtic today. You're you, you living the dream, some
1: would say. Well, you know, when you're, when you're stuck in Scotland for work, you've got to make it work for you, haven't you? So, <laughs> <laughs> a,
0: lo- a lot of time on trains, I, yeah. I can imagine. Um, good stuff. All right, let's do some three-word reviews from yesterday's game. Dan, what's the best ones that came in?
3: Yeah, well, we had 137 Twitter replies, which I thought was quite impressive after yesterday. Uh, there were quite a few posh references, as you would expect. Uh, of course. We had our own Jack Kelly with posher than you, um, <laughs> and Mitch Sloan with posh beat posh. Yeah. Uh, we had yeah. Richard Solbamba, he, highlighting the performance of our Slovak between the sticks with Rodak performs miracles. Nice. Um, I very much enjoyed Colm Bugler's Bish Bash Posh. Ah. And... Mark Weston with gritty, not pretty. Oh, very, very nice indeed.
0: Uh, Before we get into the game, just to say that uh, if you want to read Peter Rutzler's review of the match and any of his sterling work on The Athletic, you can subscribe to The Athletic right now and you can get 33% off your monthly subscription by going to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod Well worth subscribing to The Athletic and all the fantastic writing that Peter does. Let's get into the game then, Ben. And it felt inevitable that after scoring seven goals against Blackburn on Wednesday, that this just felt like it was going to be a much tougher affair. Fulham were a little bit leggy. Peterborough ran us close on many occasions and it certainly wasn't an emphatic win like it was on Wednesday. But in a way, I feel like wins like we got against Peterborough, sometimes almost more important, show us a little bit more, tell us a little bit more about this side than, than the emphatic ones. It, w- it was an ugly win, but a very necessary win. And I imagine Marco might actually be prouder of what we saw yesterday than necessarily on Wednesday.
2: Well, it was the league's top scorers against the league's uh, leakiest defence. So you would expect that there'd be some sort of fireworks uh, at the ground on the the day after bonfire night. But unfortunately, we weren't treated to any whatsoever. It was two pretty adject halves from Fulham. Um, in the first, we only managed one shot on on goal, and that was right at the end of the first half. And then in the second, uh, obviously, aside the Mitrovic goal, there wasn't really too much to write home about. And um, as you rightly say, there are there a few leggy players out there, I thought, especially in the middle of the park. We didn't create anywhere near enough as, as we normally do. I and mean, it wasn't until Tom Kane came on the game. We really swung in our favour for for twenty or twenty five minutes until Peterborough um, decided to put up a little bit more of a fight at the end. But you're right; it's the games that where you don't play well when you win um, that are really going to see you across the line in in, in championships. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that Silva will be really pleased with Fulham's metal and their personality yesterday because it was a tough game out there. Peterborough went man for man and. And they weren't shy in pressing either as a lot of teams have been uh, against us. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's good to get over the line uh, and definitely one that, that Fulham will savour going into the international break.
0: Yeah, Tom, I feel like we're going to see a lot more matches like this where teams sit back, try and just contain... Fulham, particularly some of the matches that we've got coming up, Barnsley, Derby, Preston, you will imagine they'll have seen what Peterborough did to us yesterday. And they think that might be the blueprint. Try and contain Fulham in the first 15 minutes like Peterborough did. We had loads of possession in that first 15 minutes, actually. At one point, I genuinely think for the first 10 minutes, Peterborough didn't touch the ball. It was a masterclass in possession football, but they kind of rode the storm. And you had a feeling that once Fulham didn't get themselves in front after 10, 15 minutes that this was going to be a long old afternoon and, and we were going to have to really work for a win.
1: Yeah, I think that, I think that's right. But I think what we can take a lot of satisfaction from is I think if we played that game or we played you know, earlier in this season, we might not have won it. You know, It reminded me a little bit of the Bristol City game where not much happened first half. We were a bit on top in the second half. Um, we scored um, and then we were sort of you know, we were we were pegged back a bit and had a few chances but but you know couldn't win it and end up drawing. And we didn't we didn't do that yesterday. And particularly with that save right near the very end um, from Rodak, I think, you know, the, the defence to me, even though Tim Ream I think had a bit of an off day, his distribution was a bit all over the place and you know Hector's still obviously still getting back into sort of match fitness and match sharpness, it still felt more solid than it did earlier in the season. So I would I would say that's that's progress. And every time that I've seen Fulham get promoted, we've had games like that that we've won like that you know even the Tigana season which is sort of renowned for the quality of the football we had a fair number of games that we scraped through in one one nil because exactly as you say the way that teams played against us and I think we'll see that in the, in the games we've got after the international break particularly I, I imagine Preston I think that's going to be a really tough game I think
0: yeah. Um, Dan, it felt like the conditions as well weren't helping us. It was really windy yesterday, wasn't it? It wasn't, it wasn't raining. It wasn't cold, but the wind was, was whipping round. The, the, the sides are, are open at, at, at Peterborough as well. And it, it felt like Fulham was struggling to adapt a little bit to the conditions yesterday. And um, Tom mentioned some of the wayward passing. It was, it was very noticeable, particularly kind of after that opening quarter of an hour.
3: I think it was one of those where it was classic sort of tricky conditions in the championship. You know, these are the sort of games we're going to get. And I think the other thing with, uh, the Western home stadium is it's quite a compact ground. It's not a wide pitch. And that meant that there was very little room for error for our crossfield passes, particularly from Hector and Ream. And I think when you added in the effect of the, the wind that was howling through, I don't know. Usually it wasn't cold. I was pretty cold all day, Sammy. Um, <laughs> but it was, yeah, I think it, it made it difficult for us because we weren't able to quickly shift to either flank because of the conditions and the compact nature of the pitch.
0: Yeah. Strange little ground, isn't it, Ben? What I quite couldn't quite get my head around is why the... They allowed a little section of away fans in the in the side stand, um, but it was a great turnout from Fulham yesterday, and and it felt like maybe it was that big support behind the goal that, that helped Fulham get over the line a little bit. Look, it's arguable whether fans make any difference. Um, Sheffield United had, had six thousand at Blackburn yesterday and still got humped three one. It doesn't matter really how many fans you have there, but it did feel like a really really good away day atmosphere yesterday and um, it's not too often I feel like Fulham have a game outside of London where there's an atmosphere like that.
2: Yeah, it was great yesterday. Everything from getting on the train with you guys at half half 10 at King's Cross uh, to the bar beforehand on the boat. Uh, it's great to see so many faces like young and old and people I'd known for so many years up, up there at Charters and then the walk to the ground was also pretty good too. Uh, it was me and AF actually and we got distracted on the way to the ground because someone fell over a bollard in front of us on the way in, uh, which meant that me and AF didn't know where the away section was. So we ended up doing a whole lap of, of London Road yesterday before we were promptly told where to go by a steward. Ah. Um, so yeah, that was that was a bit of a strange one. But yeah, I thought the atmosphere yesterday was great. And it was at points where Fulham really needed to be dragged up, not off the canvas, but you know, just given that sort of like extra impetus to go through the gears, um, that the, the fans really stood up yesterday and made themselves heard. I felt like there was a point where we were almost trying to suck the ball in the back of the net because it felt like Fulham were creating chances of a high enough standard, but it just wasn't going in. So, yeah, uh, yeah I think the fans were, were really on side with that. And you can see that everyone is just buzzing off how well we're doing this this year with such, so many great results too. So, yeah, it was, it was a great atmosphere. And it, was, it almost reminded me of uh, Millwall in the Cup that time when we took more than Millwall um, because the atmosphere yesterday in, in the away end was so good.
0: Yeah. Um, Tom Marit Rodak definitely had his part to play yesterday. He's kind of come into the side for Gazaniga, and I think we've all agreed that he's doing well, but I don't feel like he's been really tested until yesterday. He made a great save in the first half where I thought Johnson Clark Harris had managed to get round him. Um, but he had good positioning and always looked like he was gonna save it. And then that save at the end, um, Seriki Dembele does fantastically to get the ball to Harris he kind of goes past Reem, and from the away end I didn't realize that Rodak had tipped it onto the post I thought he'd just directly hit the post himself but then you watch the replay and there's a great reverse angle on the highlights which just shows you how important that is that's going in it's a, it's it's two point saved from Matt from Mari Rodak we can give the praise to Niskins and Mitro for, for winning us the game. But actually, I think almost as much credit has to go to Rodak because that's his two points yesterday.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, that's, that's the sign of a, of a really great keeper. As you say, not had a huge amount to do in the past few games, but when called upon, and like you, I said to the person I was with uh, um, on Saturday, that how did we get away with that? And thought it was a miss or it hit the post, you know, directly hit the post. It's like you say, when you see the replay, Actually, that is a top-class save, and it's those sort of things that will make the difference. And I'm really, really pleased to see him after what's happened to him over the last couple of years to be back in the team and be so commanding. And you know, I'm just hoping that he doesn't get too knackered playing for Slovenia and uh, Slovakia against Slovenia um, next week, and uh, doesn't get injured or anything because I think he's becoming a really important part of uh, of our team. And um, if we can, if he stays fit and he stays on form, you know, I think he can he can probably. Be the be the player that makes a difference in terms of number of points that we get at the end of the season.
0: I didn't realise it was the slow derby next week, Thursday. Yep. Slovakia, Slovenia. Oh, big game for uh, for Marek. Does,
1: is is he in the first? Is he
0: starting for Slovakia at the moment?
1: He played. Brovka? I think the last game. I think didn't he? Um, yeah. But I can't remember. If that was a friendly or a qualifier. But I, I, I assume that you know. People will see his form and I think he's, you know, he's very likely I would have thought to be picked um, given his, his current form at the moment. So. Oh, good um, luck. Good
0: luck Marek for the, uh, for the slow derby. Um, Dan uh, staying on the topic of of Marek. I saw um, Mike Gregg uh, tweets about um, Marek Rodak and uh, he said his words, when we go up, I'll take temper that to, if we go up, I want to see Marek Rodak, be our our number one next season. And I just can't agree with him more. Like like I really hope that next year, if we go up, we're going to have some choices and we're going to come up a little, we're going to come onto the defense later because that feels like a pertinent thing to discuss. What would we do at center back particularly? I really just don't want goalkeeper to be a debate. I want us to, I just don't see why that needs to be an issue next year. I think that Marik has proved that he's, more than capable for us in the championship. And I want to see him get a run in the Prem next year. I just think it's, I I think it would be nonsensical for Fulham to uproot that position and and cause the kind of drama that we've seen in the goalkeeping position for the last Well, We talked about it on a recent pod. We haven't had a goalkeeper that started the season and ended the season since 2012, 13. We need to end that.
3: Yeah, I think we do. And obviously Marek has been brilliant since he came in. And I think there's a lot to be said for how important a goalkeeper is within a defensive unit. So when you're speaking about a team's defence, you've got to often include the goalkeeper in there, not just because of their shot-stopping abilities, but in terms of communication, positioning, coming for crosses, all those sorts of things. And having that understanding is very important. And I think some people don't realise how much effect it can have changing a keeper on actually just a defensive structure because of Mm -hmm. how much work they do behind that back line one thing i will say as a counterpoint though is that we if we go up we're going up a level and we know this it's a higher standard of football and you need good enough players to stay up and now we haven't really seen Marek in the prem and that's not necessarily his fault he wasn't given the chance but if, like last season, a keeper of the calibre of Alphonse Areola becomes available, and I'll temper this with saying on a permanent, because I'm not entirely a fan of bringing in keepers for sort of one-off loans. If a if a, a keeper of a high calibre and, and with good reputation becomes available on a permanent, it is something that has to be considered. You know, I think sometimes as a club, we can be a little bit too sentimental, especially with our homegrown keepers, seemingly. You know, if we go back a couple of years, it was the same with Bettinelli. And at the end of the day, the most important thing is staying in the Premier League. And you need good players to do that. And if a player becomes available, then it has to be considered. And I don't think there's a lot of room for sentimentality.
0: No, fair, fair. I, I must I, I get caught in the uh, in the, the sentimentality boat uh, quite often uh, when it comes to all things Fulham. I'd like to see Marrot, but yeah, you probably are right. If we do get someone like Ariello offered to us on a permanent, um, it probably would be quite mad for the the recruitment team not to at least consider it. He has to be challenged. That's 100%. He can't just have his pay, place, you know, every player I think thrives on competition. And, and that certainly would have to be the case again for, for Marek. But I think if he had Gazaniga there as well, like the competition is there, but as you say, um, it is a cutthroat world and there is very little room for, for sentimentality, particularly when you do go up. Um, ben, let's come on to the goal. Uh, it's another little bit of magic, a little bit of sauce uh, from Schaefer um, brilliantly gets past his man, puts that ball into the box. Why is Metro free? Like, Darren Ferguson said in his post-match conference, he said that he thought actually Peter were the better team, deserved to win. I'm not 100% sure I fully agree with him there, but they did play well. But he does say, if we're going to leave the championship's most lethal striker free inside the box from four yards, then we kind of deserve what we get. And, and that is exactly it. It's, it's crazy that he just had that room.
2: Yeah, really, really bad that they let, let, let him have that room. They were so good throughout such large swathes of the game as well that you really thought that that, so, that much space wouldn't really be afforded to Mitrovic. Um, they went man for man, as I said earlier on in the podcast, um, really well throughout the whole game. And I feel I feel like um, Niskins wasn't on top form yesterday, but caused a lot of issues. Um, his ability to stop the ball and then go for that little two or three yard burst to create the space to... Just, get the, the crosses in and stood up for Mitrovic is is such a key to our, our play and how many goals have we scored like that in the past few weeks where we have that small burst of pace and then bang the crosses stood up and Mitrovic powers in uh, th- there must be at least a few uh, just in the past you know two games alone so yeah it's been um, it it was a strange one I, I do agree slightly with the comment from from Ferguson I think he they did a job, uh, to coin a, a Don Betts phrase. If they would have got the win there or got the draw, they definitely would have done a job. And I've done it based on organisation and going man for man. Um, but to say they were the better team, I think, is uh, very wide of the mark.
0: Mm. Uh, and i mean tom i thought that peterborough counted themselves well you look at their results against the top three in the championship they drew nil nil with bournemouth they only lost one nil to west brom in the final minute and then only lost one nil to us it's kind of surprised to see that they have the leakiest defense in the league really when you see the three performances they have put up against the top sides i can't i I mean i'm not watched a a whole lot of peterborough this season but I, i i it's one of those championship oddities that doesn't really make a lot of sense when you actually think about it logically, the way that they've obviously handled themselves so well against the the, the big three and then, you know, seem to concede hatfuls of goals against the likes of Birmingham, Hull, whoever comes to uh, uh, London Road, because I thought they were brilliantly organised yesterday.
1: The, well, I think they were, uh, apart from, I mean, I think that we just talked about the goalkeepers, haven't we? The goalkeepers positioning for the goal, I just thought that was... I don't know what you thought he was doing, where he was, because that almost invited that ball in. I don't know for you, but it felt to me as a, almost as that header went in, in slow motion, um, did, standing yeah. behind the goal. It seemed to take a while to get in, but the keeper was completely, you know, in the wrong wrong side of the goal, really badly positioned for it. So almost invited it on. So I can understand why um, uh, Darren Ferguson was so uh, irritated by that. But you know, I think I think they're one of the sides that sides that come up from League One and. You know, either just about stay up or miss out and go down. And there's almost a yo-yo between the championship and League One, you know, with teams like um Rotherham and Wickham and um and I i put Peterborough in that type of category where um yeah. and, and they and they raise their game for some games, but they struggle to be able to do it consistently, and I think that's their that's their issue. Um I suspect they've probably got enough to stay up because I think the the spirit is obviously there. Um and they were pretty I, I did watch the West Brom game and they were pretty unfortunate. That was the one with the sweatshirt in the crowd and the long throw and all that sort of stuff and mm. you know Ferguson was annoyed about that one as well um I think I think they'll do all right actually this season I think they'll they'll grow into themselves a bit but um and they'll tighten up and but yeah we did what we needed to do um before that we had a few chances and I completely agree with Ben it felt as though it was gonna be one of those days where it just wasn't gonna happen um yeah. but then it did and it was great
0: yeah, uh, there was a couple of missed chances. Dekker Reed just kind of got a couple where he didn't connect with it right or got it slightly wrong. It was the one where it was Mitrovic laid it off perfectly to him, and then uh, Dekker Dover Reed kind of he did he did, he was closed down to be fair, but he just slotted it wide. And as you say, I, I I it felt like it had nil nil written all over it. And Dan, it was great that we managed to come through it from a tactical point of view. What do Fulham need to do a little bit better to try and counteract teams that we're going to face more teams like Peterborough, where we don't manage to get our noses in front in the first fifteen minutes, and we have to break them down. You know, we did manage to break Peterborough down yesterday, so it's a job well done for Marcus Silver and his side. But it did feel like for large swathes of the game, particularly the first half, that we did just didn't really know how to carve open a team that sat with, you know, two blocks of four, really well organised at the back. And look, it's. A problem that much bigger st- sides like, than us you know, struggle to solve. But what to Fulham needs to do a little bit better in order to to try and break down these stubborn sides that we're almost certainly going to f- meet more more and more frequently.
3: Yeah, I think if we start with the first half, where we were going wrong to me felt like, and this is, I think, Jarms will agree with me on this. When you're playing against a a low block and especially two banks of four. One of the crucial things that you have to do to create chances is to pull defenders and midfielders out of position. And what we did in the first half was actually match them completely where we had our two wingers on their two fullbacks and their two wingers were man marking our two fullbacks. And we just played in sort of straight lines and it made it very easy for Peterborough because their players were never pulled out of position. And that meant that we struggled to create anything because our overlapping fullbacks weren't getting any space. And it also meant that anytime the ball went in centrally, they had two central defenders and two central midfielders there who were dealing with just Alexander Mitrovic and Bobby Deckard over Reed. And that's four on two. And you're going to struggle to create there. So where I think actually Marcus Silver deserves more credit than he might have got is that at halftime, I saw a change after the second half. And I think it was a concerted effort, which was Harry Wilson started drifting further and further inside, which meant that his fullback had to also drift inside. And that opened a lot of space up down the right flank. And then on the other side, Niskan Skibano stayed pretty wide and Anthony Robinson actually at times drifted a bit further inside. And what that meant was that we were just pulling their players out of position and making it uncomfortable for them. And that's where the chances started to come from. Then you start to see space for Bobby Deckard-Dover-Reed, space for Tom Kearney, and space for Niskan Skibano eventually to get that cross in. So I think Marco Silva deserves credit. Um, Whether he should maybe have foreseen that this is how the game was going to pan out and we should have preempted it, that's another question. But I think credit to a manager who can change things during a game and make it work because I think that's a big skill. And so I was very happy with what Marcus Silva did yesterday.
0: Yeah. I think that um, Ben, the Adoy for Tete sub at half time seemed pretty obvious. Adoy was on a booking. He looked a bit sluggish. Um, He was, he was struggling on that right-hand side to kind of get up and get down. Um, But the Seri for Kearney substitution I was kind of expecting it to maybe be Harrison Reed or Decca Dover Reid that, that came off, but he brought off um, John McHale Serri and, and Kearney brought a lot to this team in that final half an hour. And, and I think was a big reason why we did actually manage to get the goal, create some opportunities and ultimately get the, th- the three points. I thought Kearney was, was fantastic when he came on.
2: Completely agree. I think that the substitution was 100% the right one. I think that over the past few games, Serri has been one of the driving factors of Fulham's midfield, especially from the deeper positions. But yesterday, I felt like he played it safe way too often. I don't think that there was too much creativity come out, coming out of Serry yesterday. As Dan said in the previous segment, he played a lot of balls very straight, very telegraphed. We weren't switching to play en- enough. And that's something that we normally depend on Serry to do. Also, there's this this thing I had with Serry yesterday where he receives the ball in space and you're willing him to drive on into that space and to take players on. Yes, they just simply was not doing it, wasn't taking the game to Peterborough uh, to the level we would expect a player of his character and quality to do. Uh, and it wasn't until Tom came on that we started to see Fulham progressing the ball through the thirds much quicker. Um, we weren't seeing people taking risks until Tom came on. and I thought Tom was brilliant because the amount of times that he got the ball on the half turn and drove into the space and drove the ball through the lines out wide to Bobby or, or to Niskins or to Harry um, I think his introduction turned the game on the head and turned it in Fulham's favour in a point where at, we were getting actually quite lost within ourselves. And we were just like almost kind of accepting that perhaps it wouldn't have happened for us yesterday until Tom came on. And he put Fulham on his shoulders and, and and his introduction gave us that spark that we needed to, to push us up a gear and to get the, get the ball over the line almost.
0: Yeah, it was a real um, display of Fulham's um strength and depth really and, and and what that can offer us off the bench if we're struggling in a match when you're able to bring on Kenny Tete uh, and Tom Kearney as, as your substitute options um, it's, a, it's a pretty good place to be all right we'll take a break there and then afterwards we'll get into some of your questions Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here, and joined by Ben Jarman. Hello, hello. Tom Greattrex. Hello. And Dan Cook. Hello. Uh, Just before we do some questions, a couple of small bits of admin. Please, please, please vote for Fulhamish in the FSA Awards. We are up for Fan Media of the Year. Uh, we're up against some of the biggest fan outlets in the country. So we've got a pretty uphill battle uh, to try and get the gong, but we are going for it. So uh, you just have to go to either the Football Sports Association website. Uh, there is a link pinned at the top of our Twitter. There is also a link on the Fulhamish homepage, fulhamish.co.uk. It takes you 30 seconds. Uh, go down to the category that says Fan Media of the Year. Please vote for Fulhamish. Feel free to vote in some of the other categories as well, including for the Athletic if you're a fan of their work. Um, But yeah, we'd really, really appreciate a nod. Also had a message from Thomas, uh, lives in Berlin and sent in a very nice message. And he says that uh, he has uh, a couple of season tickets for the Barnsley and Derby matches. And he has kindly said that if there is anyone listening to the podcast that is struggling financially to go to games at the moment and just fancies uh, going to either the Barnsley or the Derby games um, just to get in touch um, he's got a couple of free tickets and he'd love them to go to uh, someone that, that really deserves it but maybe is just struggling uh, for, for the money at the moment to go to games so if that is you uh, either drop us an email hello at fulhamish.co.uk or drop us a dm and uh, we can put you in touch uh, with Thomas but a very generous offer and um it did get me thinking that this might be something that I'd be happy for Fulhamish to do on a regular basis. You know, if you have some season tickets to a match and you'd like it to go to a Fulham fan that, that can't afford to go to matches every week, i um, always happy to try and put the word out there or trying to connect fans as much as possible. You know, um, I, I don't know if it gets ridiculous and we start getting tons and tons of requests either way that we've got the capacity to be able to deal with it. But I said I'd put the message out for Tom. So uh, there we go. All right, let's come on to some questions. Uh, Ibs asks, Why is Hector so bad at distribution? Um, And then he brings up the point. I think we need another center back to partner Tosin in the long run. And it's pretty clear that Mawson slash Hector ain't it. Definitely at Premier League level. Uh, Oh, he wants to know, does Ben Jarman rate Juan Foyf? Ben, quickly. Yes or no?
2: Yes, because he can play multiple positions. Whether he would come to Fulham, I don't know. He also asked about Joe Rodon. Um, I like Joe Rodon's physicality. I like his distribution. But again, not sure that he would give up the opportunity to play it with Conte at Spurs to come and play in a potentially relegation-threatened team next year if we do make it up.
0: Dan, I think the centre-back question is interesting and I really, I'm really, i trying not to go down the, oh, let's start planning for the Prem. We are not there yet. I'm not trying to say we are there yet. But I think seeing Hector yesterday, it was, it was obvious, wasn't it, that it is a little bit of a step down from Tosin. I think he's deputising well. He's grand at this level, but there is a longer-term centre-back question. Can Golo... You'd like to think is Premier League quality, but the injuries are just so debilitating for him. I just don't think you can bet anything on him ever coming back to any kind of fitness. If he does, then great. But there's just been so many full storms with Congolo, with And then you've got Mawson, who I think is actually a good option, but maybe Silver. If, if Silva doesn't seem to race him that highly. And then I think we know that Hector's level is probably the championship. Is in Premier League quality? That's up for debate. Reem is obviously a great centre-back, but he'll be 35 next year. Long-term, something that Fulham need to figure out.
3: First, I'll touch on Ibda's point about Hector's distribution. I think one of the things that actually bothered me yesterday, and I noticed it a lot, and it's very different when you watch Toast and Tim Ream, is that Michael Hector sees ball, heads ball. And, <laughs> and there's, there's not a step in between where he scans to see actually where our players are. And there's value in that. He's very good in the air. He wins a lot of headers, but also he misplaces a lot of headers because he simply puts it into an area. Whereas if you watch Tim Ream and Tosin, both of them are scanning, they're checking as the ball's coming, where can I find a Fulham shirt with this header? And I think that that's a big difference between the two of them, but it is definitely a problem. I think I was speaking to AF about this actually yesterday that, I was I wrote a piece the other day about who was going to replace Tosin while he suspended. And looking back at when we signed Alfie Mawson, it's probably one of the most sensible transfers we've made in recent times. We picked up a centre-back who three months prior had been in the England squad prior to the 2018 World Cup. He has been capped numerous times at England under 21 level. He is a was a very good player. And now then we have the same issue that we have with Congolo, is that we've just got two injury-prone centre-backs. And so I think that if I was to pick one position that we need to improve on, if we were to go up, and even then, if we weren't to go up, is getting in a centre-back who can play alongside Tosin. I think Tosin, if we can keep, is long-term man who is a stalwart in our back four um, for quite a while. But I think we need to find someone of his ilk and preferably of his sort of age, because we've got an ageing centre-back core in Tim Ream. Michael Hector's getting towards 30 now, I believe, um, and they're just not cut out for Premier League level. And so I definitely agree that we have got an issue there, um, but I am sure that it's something that Marco Silva's looking at doing something about, because I don't think he's overly happy with you know, being forced into, it's Tosin and Tim Ream, and if it's not one of them, then we've maybe got some issues.
0: Um, Tom, what's your thoughts on, on Tosin and the centre backs? I was chatting to someone on the train yesterday and I was trying to argue that I think that Tosin is Premier League quality. And this guy was you know, politely saying, I don't think that Tosin is and and, and did make a good point that I didn't really have an answer to. He said, well, look, he was available for 10 million in the summer. If anyone, have, and it's not like clubs didn't know he has a release clause. Clubs know these kind of things and nobody Went for it, even though there was a bit of a centre back shuffle in the uh, in the summer. You had Vestergaard go to Leicester, and then, you know, there was there was definitely a, teams that were looking for centre backs, and no one went for Tosin. So, what what do you think going forward? I, I still think he is, but also he made that point yesterday, and I was just there like, that's a great point. I have no answer.
1: <laughs> was that before or after the cocktails? There, uh...
0: no, that was before the sex with the lads as well. So no, I was coherent to that point. <laughs> Okay. Um,
1: I, I, my view is, I think Tosin has definitely got the potential to be that. It's maybe not not quite there yet, and um, you know, this the reason why people might not have come in for him. The summer just gone as to where he might be. Um, if we continue the way we've started and he's playing the way he has been this season, it'll be very different. I think. I think there's that development which can only come from having, you know, as much first team. Uh, match time as as he's going to be likely to have. So I wouldn't I wouldn't write him off as being someone who's not up to the standard at all. I mean I think with the in the partnership that there is a challenge there. Um, you know I, I mentioned before Tim Roome had a bit of an off day yesterday with his distribution as well, and um, I think actually he tweeted something about how he's tired and needs a rest for a couple of days, and uh, I'm sure he's more than uh, welcome to to having a bit of a break. But he's not a long term option. Mawson's contracts up I think this summer. So as far as I'm aware, he hasn't been offered a new contract. So I suspect Mm -hmm. that relationship might well be coming to an end in any case. And Hector, um, as well as he did two years ago for the half a season, um, I I tend to agree. I'm not not seeing enough to think that he is the sort of centre-back that you can be absolutely comfortable with. He's not going to... Make the type of mistake which at Premier League level you get punished for every single game, and that's that's the difference. So um, I think it definitely is someone we're going to need to we're going to need to do something if we if we do manage to go up. I mean, the benefit we might have this season potentially, without wanting to jinx anything, is that if we continue the way we're doing, we may have more certainty about which division we're in earlier, which may well help in terms of some of that recruitment and planning that we've been talking about. With centre backs, I'm a strong believer in
3: if you're playing in a back four, we take that as two centre backs you're only as good as the centre-back you're playing alongside. It's sort of like a mitigating factor for me, which I think is why we see Tim Ream look noticeably worse when he's played alongside other centre-back pairings that haven't been toast in this season. Because you rely so much on your other centre-back that if you're playing with someone you're not comfortable with or someone of a lesser quality, you're sometimes having to make up for their where they're lacking. So I think that's also important that if Tosin will be a Premier League quality player for me, if you put a Premier League centre-back next to him. And I think that's important.
0: So it's like if Ben Jarman played centre-back with me, I would be making Ben Jarman look a lot worse at centre-back, basically.
3: Exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um Ben, uh, this question kind of sticking with defenders from Elizabeth, uh, who we met at Charles's bar yesterday. Nice to meet you, uh, Elizabeth. Um, I know Ben, you met her as well. Yep. Uh, she asks, um, bringing off Metro for Mawson after the goal isn't something we've seen from Silver before, and she thought it had real Parker vibes. I, I 100% agree. Obviously, we managed to see it out, but we almost didn't. Was it a smart substitution or was it negative? I was there, kind of with my head and my hands going like, no, Silver, no. <laughs> don't don't fall into the trap it's just like we've won but
2: at what cost yeah like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. um yeah I didn't like the substitution to be honest with you I felt like it was a, a bit of a sign of desperation from Fulham when actually they could have gone through the gears and sort of fought fire with fire we had Fabio Carvalho on the bench and we had a couple of other really good options that you could have used to almost go one for one with Peterborough but um wasn't really a fan of that one. I like, I mean, personally, I, I quite like to see Alfie out there because I feel like his his career at Fulham's been so up and down. It's nice to see him finally getting to a spot where he's consistently in the squad and consistently able to come into games. Um, so that I'm fine with. Um, sort of the negativity to try and hold out in the last five minutes when you've just won seven 0 and you're playing the team with the leakiest defense in the league that is sitting in twentieth. I think it's negative. But um, taking into account how leggy the players were, just securing the three points is probably all that was on his mind.
0: Yeah, and then Fulham still did have a bit of attacking intent, even once Mawson um, was on the pitch. there was a couple of times where he looked to counter-attack. It didn't work. So it wasn't full parkable. I'll never forget, I think, the game against Queen's Park Rangers where he put eight defenders on um, to secure a 2-1 win, I think, when it was uh, just at the start of um, the COVID football that June. I was just there like, oh God, this is so bad. Can I just say, I think, it was, yeah. I think
1: it was the right choice, actually, that substitution. When you looked at what was happening in the game, you looked at how tired... Uh, a lot of the other players were looking. Mitrovic asking to be substituted. I don't, think not sure whether that was because he was knackered or because he thought he'd taken a bit of a knock. Um, and actually, because of the way that um, Peter was starting to come back into it, I think um, I, I, I completely think it was the right substitution. Actually, I don't think it was a, a negative thing as, at all. It, and he has done it once before, albeit, albeit we were, you know, we were well ahead against uh, against um, Birmingham, where uh, I think. He, Wilson came off, and um, and Morrison came on for him for the last few minutes. So, um, I, I just think it, I think it's really good to have a manager who has got you know the flexibility in how he's dealing with things to be able to you know to be able to, to make the decisions. I think uh, echoing the point that was made before, I think that you know, the decision with um, the substitution and introducing Tom Kenny and making the changes that he made that really opened up the game was exactly a great example of why the strength that silver has. And I I would say that I think that last substitution was as well for a different reason. And um, I was not at all disappointed um, at all to see that. And I think in games where he would judge there's more chances to still be had, then he might do a different substitution. But I think it was exactly the right choice to be made.
3: I think the similarities as well between Birmingham and Peterborough were aerial bombardment. It was... Birmingham were a team that were looking to put the ball into the box and win headers. And as the game got deeper and deeper, Peterborough were looking to do the same yeah, thing. Their, their first option was going longer than it had been at times. And there is value in adding in an aerial threat like Alfie Mawson into your defensive line because you can help deal with those situations.
0: Yeah, And also good to see a manager that isn't just so ruthlessly stuck to an identity that they will cost themselves matches just to prove a point that Marco Silva doesn't make kind of like last ditch defensive substitutions. Like I, I will respect that someone that just wants to get the result. And if I have to kind of play it ugly for five minutes and go slightly against my principles, then so be it. So, you yeah, know, it probably is a good thing, but it was, it was notable to say the least. And Dan, Thomas Gordon wants to know uh, what, what you think about Tete coming on for Adoy? He says, do you think we'll finally see Tete back in the starting 11? I know he was coming back from injury, but seeing Adoy picked over him um, was rough. He allows Wilson to be able to cut inside while keeping the width, which is so important. Um, I feel like Adoy deserved to stay in the side I think he's been playing well enough that Silva probably had some principles and said look Adoy hasn't lost his place Adoy did struggle yesterday in the first half I do wonder now if after the international break assuming Tete stays fit that uh, we see him come back in and starting at right back for for that Barnsley game
3: I think part of it might be that Kenny Tete came back a lot sooner than I think a lot of us were expecting And I'm not sure if from Marco what he's seen was, well, Dennis is doing a pretty good job here um, and it's not a massive issue. If he can hold off um, playing Kenny Tete and giving him as few minutes as possible before this international break, that's probably been a good thing for him because it's given him a bit of extra time to get back to full fitness. He's had some sporadic minutes over the past couple of weeks and now he gets a two-week rest where he can get some some more training into his legs and get build up his his sharpness and his fitness, I think it's been a good thing. Um, I definitely would like to see Kenny Tete now starting over Dennis Sadoy, and I think we will. But I don't think it was simply a decision that Marco thought that Dennis would do a better job. I think it was that he felt that Dennis could do good enough a job that he wouldn't have to risk putting too many minutes into Kenny Tete's legs too soon.
0: Question from At Opinions FC. He says, why do Fulham thrive off rattling others? And should we encourage this posh and upper class behaviour to continually annoy other teams' fans? I feel like it's class. Uh, I assume that wasn't an an intentional pun. Um, Tom, I assume this is referring to uh, the cheese board and port incident that was all over Twitter yesterday from At Peter Lafleur. If you haven't seen this tweet, it's now been deleted. I don't know if it's just because Peter was getting so much heat on it. I thought it was excellent. I think most people were crediting him um, certainly within the Fulham fan base. Anyway, Um, he took a a wonderful picture of them on the train to Peterborough with a full selection of cheese boards and a bottle of port Tom as one, as as one that regularly takes the train. I imagine that's frequently how you uh, travel with a, with a, with a cheese board and a bottle of port. I like, I do like that Fulham fans seem to almost be kind of playing the joke, playing along, um, laughing at themselves we know the stereotype. I don't think it's all that fair sometimes that we're a bunch of poshos. I don't necessarily. I think you see our fan base, and I don't actually think that's often reflective of the kind of people that go to Fulham matches. However, if we're willing to kind of ride along with the joke and laugh at ourselves, like I think Peter the Fleur was trying to do, um, I think it's magnificent.
1: Yeah, I I saw it on, on my train down. Unfortunately yesterday I wasn't travelling with my butler, so <laughs> I wasn't able to have the, you know, beef Wellington from a silver platter that I'd normally have to take a picture. So that was the next best thing. And I think you know, for someone to probably spend about thirty quid in MS, that's the best value trolling I've seen for a while. It was absolutely superb. And I think it did exactly what you'd expect it to do. Um look, I think I think it's a bit of fun. And I think, you know, I thought saw someone suggesting that all they needed to do was use clappers as placemats and they'd have would have hit peak uh, <laughs> peak wind up uh, territory. And so um yeah, I think we should. But there's no harm in it, is there? And it's a lot it's a bit more interesting than lots of pictures of uh of, uh, of tables on trains with just uh, cans and bottles on. Make it, make it a bit more interesting for everybody who's stuck yeah. on the train somewhere else.
0: Yeah, indeed. I mean, look, I love, I love having some cans on the train more as much as anyone, but give me a cheese board and a bottle of port, and I'm not saying no, i uh, I'm a man who can do both. All right, we're going to take a break and we'll be back in just a second. part three of the Fulhamish podcast Sammy James here and I'm joined by Ben Dan and Tom uh, Tom an uh, important couple of weeks coming up for the Fulham Supporters Trust uh, you've got board nominations coming up and I thought you might just like a, a quick moment just to uh, iterate uh, what that means and uh, and how people can get involved if they wish
3: to
1: yeah thanks very much um, so the Fulham Supporters Trust board elections we have elections each year um, nominations close on, uh, on Wednesday the 10th um, So if you're a member of the trust and you want to get involved, we're looking for new people to join the board, people who've got some enthusiasm, some ideas, things you want to do to, you know, really sort of improve and develop the trust to be um, even more active and involved in lots of different things. There's lots of stuff coming up. You know, we're doing a lot of work on the women's game and trying to get Fulham fans um, uh, interested in the, women's team we know we've got the fan led review coming out relatively soon that will likely to be recommendations that will see an enhanced role for trusts and equivalents across the country um it's more than just a monthly meeting with the club there's a lot of other stuff we do and we're very keen for new people to get involved so if you're a member of the trust then you've got to wednesday to be nominated you need to get um, another member of the trust to nominate you if you're not a member of the trust please do join it's 10 pounds a year um, that just helps cover our costs. But, you know, our membership has been going up over the last couple of years. We want to get to really have a critical mass of uh, of a broad range of fund supporters in amongst trust membership, because that means we carry more weight when we talk to the club about a whole range of different issues on, on your and our behalf.
0: Yeah, Fulham Supporters Trust website uh, if you want to join and all the details are on there about the nominations. And and you speak about the the women's team. uh, They've got a big match on Sunday, the 14th of November at 2.30. And I know that the Trust uh, are trying to uh, raise some profile of this. Uh, It's the first round of the Women's FA Cup. It's 2.30 against Oxford United Women. It's at Motspur Park. Uh, And they're trying to just get a good crowd uh, down to the game. Um, So... Fulhamish are going to have a few people going down there as well, and we're going to do some coverage of the match as well. So 2.30 against Oxford United women. Uh, it'd be great to see a, a good contingent of Fulham fans uh, supporting the women's team, particularly as it's the international break for the men's team. A couple of footnotes that I wanted to mention from yesterday's game. Um, I have to mention the mascots. I sorry, I just can't get over them. Like, it was just sensational. So there was three mascots. I mean, most clubs just have one, but Peterborough seemed to have three. Two of them were builders. Um, there was a fantastic chart from the Fulham fans, which was "You're just a shit Bob the Builder." <laughs> to one, of, but also the way that these builder mascots were lapping it up—they must get it every week. I feel like every fan base probably goes there and sings "You're just a shit Bob the Builder." Um, but obviously, they had also had a minute silence yesterday for Remembrance Day. <laughs> Look. I respect the minute side as much as anyone, but I was finding it very hard to concentrate whilst there was a rabbit with a carrot in its hand and two builders also on the centre circle trying to pay their respects. And this rabbit, the whole game was just marching up and down the touchline in front of the Peterborough stand, waving this carrot. I, it was really distracting. I was trying to watch the game, but I also just couldn't take my eyes off the off the rabbit carrot. I mean, this mascot, I mean their mascot game at Peterborough was uh, was just sensational. Um, living fully uh, rent free in my head Ben I mentioned it maybe numerous times during the game didn't I the, uh, the, the rabbit with the carrot
2: yeah so many times throughout the game actually yeah I've never seen something live in your head rent free as much as a rabbit mascot with a <laughs> blow up carrot and you even mentioned it on the train home and in Simmons so it
1: really must have irked you that much mate I hope you noticed that the rabbit was very respectful because in the minute silence it laid its carrot down on the ground
0: no it didn't I didn't notice that.
1: I, I feel I like, Sammy, you would really
3: enjoy the Twitter page, Mascot Silence. I do.
0: I yeah. do already enjoy the uh, the yeah. Twitter page, Mascot As Silence. But it was just oh in, uh, sensational. Anyway, that'll do for the podcast today. Thank you very, very much for listening. Uh, Dan, we need to name the podcast. So what was your favourite three-word review that we're going to name it today?
3: I very much enjoyed Combugler's Bugler's Bish Bash Posh. I think it describes the 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 style of performance we put out.
0: Very, very nice indeed. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening today. And thank you to my guest, Ben Jarman. Thank you very much, Sam. Dan Cook.
3: Thanks for having me, Sammy.
0: And Tom Greattrex. Thanks very much. Enjoy the rest of your time in Scotland. Cheers. <laughs> uh, some more uh, football away days, no doubt, for, for Tom while you're up there. Any, actually, have you got any, any more planned before you head home?
1: No, unfortunately, the, the cop business that I'm here for gets busy starting start of next week. And international breaks, there's no games, are there? So
0: no more time for energy debates <laughs> <laughs> no football matches to uh, to get in the way uh, the podcast will return on thursday it will be uh, myself peter and jack uh, with a second look at, at the peterborough game uh, and no doubt going uh, in depth into a few more different fulham topics have a good start to your week six wins in a row it's a nice way to start the international break is it come on you wise
3: you would